Welcome to The Scope with Dr. K, where together we can reimagine GI care. Hi everyone, I'm Beth Houck. I'm the Chief Customer Officer for SonarMD. And today I am gonna talk with the upcoming host of The Scope with Dr. K, Dr. K himself. Dr. K, welcome to your show. Thank you, Beth. Thank you for welcoming me to my own show. <laughs> well, we're going to have a little bit of fun here today. Uh, why don't you start off by telling everyone about your background? I know you were a practicing GI for many years. Well, yes, I, I was a guest, practicing gastroenterologist for over 35 years in private practice. So I wasn't one of those gastroenterologists that was in an academic medical center. I had a private practice. I saw patients every day. It was my main career. Um, I saw them in the office, uh, dealt with their conditions. I also saw them at the hospital when their conditions decompensated. And I also performed thousands and thousands of endoscopic procedures on these patients. Gastroenterology is a fantastic specialty for someone to work in because it's a, it's, a, it's a wonderful blend of intellectual pursuits as well as procedural aspects through the scopes. We're fortunate in GI to be able to build long-term relationships with patients. Unlike other specialties like cardiology or oncology where the, the relationship period of time might not be long, we build multiple decade-long relationships with patients, similar to what primary care doctors do. So it was a fantastic specialty to uh, work in through the course of my entire career. I don't regret it for a second. When you answered the question, you emphasized the word private practice. Where do you think the practice of gastroenterology is going now? Well, the word private is definitely changing. Uh, you were very perceptive in, in asking that question. We used to be small practices, three or four doctors, sometimes solo doctors, um, working on their own. For probably the 30 of the 35 years I was in practice, over 50% of the GI practices around the country were five doctors or less. It gave these physicians an opportunity to run their own small business and to have a lot of autonomy. Today, things are changing and changing markedly. There has been tremendous consolidation in the GI space. And this isn't unique to GI. This has been something that's been going on for the last 10 years in healthcare. The, the private payers were the first ones to consolidate to the point where we just have a handful of insurance companies in each, in each work area. The hospital systems over the course of the last 10 years consolidated. So now it's sometimes difficult to find an independent hospital. Well, the same thing is happening on the physician side today. Most of the primary care doctors are joining large hospital systems, and now the specialties are consolidating. We've seen consolidation in dermatology, anesthesia, but gastroenterology today is in focus for consolidation. And my old practice started as three doctors back in the 1980s. We grew to 10, had a very successful practice in the northwest suburbs of Chicago. 
we then joined two other groups of similar size to form the largest GI practice in Illinois, which we appropriately named the Illinois Gastroenterology Group. Well, last year, we negotiated the sale of IGG, the Illinois Gastroenterology Group, to the largest GI consortium in the country called the GI Alliance. So this entire industry is consolidating, and along with that consolidation, local autonomy will be relinquished, but hopefully large system applications of business practices and clinical practices will be applied so there will be more uniformity of practice, more predictable outcomes. This will be better for the industry. It will be better for the patients. This is a pretty big change, and I, I know you and I have talked about it a lot. Do you, do you think this is making life better for gastroenterologists? And as a structure, perhaps it is, but what else can we be doing to reduce physician burnout and allow practices to thrive? Well, that's a good question, and it's something that's definitely in vogue. It's something that is being written about frequently. The word burnout is a word that we never used with physicians in the past. I don't remember ever using physician burnout in the 80s or 90s or even in the, the first decade of this century. That term is being used all the time now. My personal opinion is that this has to do with the electronic medical records. Doctors in the past, yes, they would be in front of a PC for part of their time, but most of the work was provided away from that. Now, the doctor is looking at a screen all day long. They're looking at screens at the hospital. We're doing our procedures looking in screens. We are looking at screens when we're seeing the patients. We're looking at screens when we're doing our post-patient phone calls. There's a reality here to the amount of screen time that physicians are being exposed to today. It's a, it's a significant source of stress. Plus, if we go back to my answer to the previous question, as practices become larger and processes become more homogenized and optimized across large entities, physicians have to conform. I've always used a funny expression, MD stands for my decision. <laughs> well, unfortunately, in large entities today, adhering to reporting requirements, laborious use of electronic health records, the decision doesn't rest with the physician that much anymore. And I think this is a source of angst amongst a lot of doctors, not just in GI, but across the, the physician spectrum. This is an adaptation that they're all having to uh, make. The promise of all this digitized data is so fantastic in many ways. You know, think about all that we're hearing about with machine learning and artificial intelligence, but somebody's got to be inputting all that data. So maybe the pendulum has, has swung pretty far and we'll, we'll start to settle in the middle at some point. Well, hopefully, but the, process, the problem is the, the physicians are becoming the data processors. That's right. And, and the systems, the software platforms have to improve. The GUIs 
have to improve so that they are not uh, inhibiting the physician from uh, doing his or her job, but actually making their jobs easier. That doesn't exist today. That's, that's going to take some maturation in the system before we're going to realize that. True. Well, let's, let's shift gears a little bit. Uh, let's talk about the other uh, side of you, which is not just the practice of GI medicine, but your founding of SonarMD. Launch in and tell us, how did it start? Where did the, where did the idea come from and how did it progress? Well, the idea came from me being a doctor and trying to figure out a solution. I have had roles, leadership roles, in multiple organizations over the years. Somewhere around the end of 2011, I was on the uh, Practice Management and Economics Committee for the American Gastrological Association, the AGA, and they asked me to chair the committee. And I thought, okay, I have a, I have a three-year opportunity here to make some change. And gastroenterologists, despite the fact that they pass board exams and are, and are extremely knowledgeable of gastrointestinal diseases, they spend most of their time performing repetitive procedures, colonoscopies. Over 80% of what a gastroenterologist generates in revenue comes from doing one procedure, colonoscopy. So I thought, how do I encourage my colleagues to not give up on their procedural interests, but to expand their disease management experience? And the main most significant illnesses that we take care of in GI are the inflammatory bowel diseases. These are, these are a family of conditions that affect young people, uh, young to middle-aged people. They're very significant conditions that are associated with a lot of morbidity. They're very expensive. And so I thought, I need to know more about how much they cost, where the costs are emanating from, and I went to our largest payer, which was Blue Cross Blue Shield, and uh, just asked them for cost data. Eventually, they provided us with an enormous data set, which we analyzed. And this became the source of the initiation of Sonar, because we first looked at where the costs were being driven in Crohn's disease. And they come from inpatient work, patients going into hospitals, having procedures, that's where over 50% of the cost was coming. And I said, well, could, how do we avoid that from happening? What could have been done? Is there anything in this claims data that can help me? And so I looked at the 30 days before the hospital admissions, and 17% of the patients had a hospital admission. So this was significant. But in over two-thirds of the patients who were admitted to a hospital, there was nothing in their claims data in the 30 days before that hospital admission. Not an office visit, not a CBC, not an x-ray, nothing. And, and so that was my first aha moment. The patients are going off over the cliff without realizing it. And that was the initiation of sonar. I felt we needed a way to communicate with them. And ironically, I was watching the, the hunt for Red October one evening, and I thought, we need a sonar system. We need a way to ping these people 
in between their face-to-face -face visits so a medical professional can decide whether they need intervention or not. And so that was the nidus of the formation of SonarMD. We started doing, doing the, the, the pings very crudely using our patient portal and realized we could move the needle on hospital admissions, which generated the formation of a web-based and now cloud-based platform and um, the formation of a company and uh, the rest is history. Tell me a little bit about some of the patients' reaction to being sonar patients or being part of the sonar program. What, what are they gaining by it? Well, the first thing you have to realize is that if you ask most patients with Crohn's or ulcerative colitis how they're doing, their answer almost uniformly is, well, I'm fine, Doc. Why are you asking? Most of, most of the patients with these this family of diseases, and I'm sure this applies to many chronic conditions, especially those that affect young people. Um, patients incorporate these symptoms into their usual normal lives so that their normal becomes something that might be normal to them, but it's not normal to anybody else. Because that same patient where I may ask, how are you feeling, and receive an answer back that they feel fine, when you drill down and ask them, well, how many bowel movements, bowel movements are you having every day? They may be having five or six. Well, I don't know about you, but most people don't want to be having five or six bowel movements per day, but that person thinks that's the norm and that that's all it'll ever be. So the first point of bringing a patient into sonar is their recognition that there's another world out there that they might not be experiencing. And our goal is to help them get closer to the normal line and move them further away from the complication line. And so the way sonar does that is by innocently and non-intrusively hovering over them and once a month sending them a very short set of questions which bring back a score, a symptom score to us, and a team of our professionals monitors that, and if the patient's scores exceed our benchmarks, then a human being reaches out to that patient uh, to find out what's going on, and we basically tee up that communication to the patient's doctor. We, we don't disintermediate that relationship. We respect that doctor-patient relationship, but we we tee that up so that the practice can deal with a patient's deterioration earlier in the deterioration process than they would if they waited for the patient to realize that they were deteriorating. So the, the, long answer, the short answer to this is the patient benefits by having deterioration detected earlier in its, in its course. They become less symptomatic they become more normal as far as their everyday symptoms are concerned. If you're just joining us, you're listening to The Scope with Dr. K. I know when I joined Sonar, this was such an aha moment for me, uh, thankfully not living with one of these chronic diseases, that, that their normal is just so different. And so that, that's all, that always sticks with me when we are talking about our patients that we're serving is they don't recognize that something's not 
you know, on track. Um, you, sure. you mentioned as you were talking about, you know, that you don't disintermediate the physician relationship. So they get to go back to their, the physician that they're most comfortable and have been, who's been managing their care. What, what's been the physician's reactions to the program? What are, what are they gaining by being partners in all of this? And, and what has been their feedback? Well, I think the same, sort of the same um, convincing uh, task goes on with the provider because physicians traditionally have worked in a reactive model. You see a patient in the office, you say, Mrs. Jones, you know, if anything changes, call me. And then they never call. And then the doctor has to deal with the condition uh, when, it, when it does deteriorate. And the physicians are so used to being problem solvers, being the, the, uh, the one that intervenes when things have gone bad. They don't necessarily think automatically about keeping them that way. And so once the physicians realize that they are, they are better able to manage their patients by having their patients participate in this platform, they become believers. And we've had a, a very, very positive response uh, from our, our provider pool um, from our family of, you know, GI providers that participate with us, uh, they see this as an advantage to their practice, and they, they see this as something that's helping their patients. Um, it actually brings the physician closer to the patient. If we look at uh, the practices that have utilized sonar the longest, the number of office visits actually rises. They're seeing their patients more frequently. What goes down are the emergency room visits. They drop by over 70%, and the hospital admissions drop by over 50%. And I don't know about you, but as a physician, I would much rather be seeing my patients in my office and, and deal with them and, at that level than have to see them decompensated in a, in a hospital setting where they may need surgery. So it's been a benefit for the patients. It's been a benefit for the uh, providers. And it's saving the payers money in the process. Dr. K, we've covered a ton of ground talking about the SONAR program, your background, the future of GI practice and GI care. What are you going to be talking about on your show going forward? This show will represent a recurring opportunity for physicians, patients, and others to put their finger on the pulse of what's going on in gastroenterology and with GI health. So we're going to explore the full spectrum of GI practice. We're, gonna, we're going to explore how, how it relates to patients, how it relates to providers, how it even relates to those who are paying for the bills. Our goal here 
is to have an informative series that provides the listener with up-to-date information and in-depth interviews with leaders in this field. Well, I love that you're talking with so many different people that are touching the industry. Um, you know, that, that you're going to show, describe a little bit more about GI, both from the payer, the, the physician's perspective, and also the patients. I think that's going to be just really rich. Um, so I'm excited, excited to hear. Is there anything that you're going to make sure every episode has in it? Funny you should say that. Um, we're going to try to also bring out the current GI news, the new developments, uh, the new issues. So we may have an interview with someone planned for one of our shows, but we're going to start every show with the news of the time, the news of the period, what is out there in the news, what is hot, what is something that everybody would like to know about. And so we hope we'll keep it fresh that way so you'll have a balance between what's new versus an in-depth analysis of a specific topic for the show. What's top of mind right now? Top of mind right now is I think we're going to bring up the word value. Uh, physicians are very accustomed to using the word quality to show how well, well they practice. And um, we use the words like outcomes and, and quality. But we also have, and this have to remember in these times, that we have to provide value. The system is broken financially. We're spending way too much money uh, to provide the care we provide. And we're having a hard time justifying that the extra cost that we're spending really is resulting in improvements in care. And so the word value to me equals quality divided by cost. And quality has to be looked upon as outcomes, outcomes and service divided by cost. And we're in a population health era today. So when we talk about value, we're talking about the outcomes of a population of patients, the service provided to those patients, balanced by how much it costs to provide that. And we have to move our providers from a one patient at a time philosophy to one that is focused on their entire population of patients with cer certain conditions. So to me, that's, that's paramount in my mind right now, and we will be starting our series with that. How do you think gut health impacts overall health? You know, we talk about mind, gut, um, you know, we know gut health generally is a significant percentage of the overall spend of healthcare. How does it impact overall health? Well, think about this. And I'm not, I'm not belittling injuries elsewhere in the body, but if you have a sore shoulder, okay, there might be certain things you can't do, um, but everything else in your life is fine. Your GI health affects most of the things you have to do on an everyday basis. You have to eat. And 
that eating experience has to um, be comfortable. You have to want to eat. You have to be able to process the food you're eating. And remember the old rule, what goes in has to come out. You have, you have to have uh, everything else working well at the same time. So GI health affects us very significantly. Patients who suffer with symptoms um, from GI disorders have discomfort from everyday activities that we all take for granted. You have lunch. You, you can't feel the food being processed in your gut. And patients who have irritable bowel syndrome or inflammatory bowel disease, they immediately have symptoms. They're uncomfortable. They're unhappy. Uh, GI health is something everybody should strive uh, to maximize for themselves because th there are definite symptomatic downsides to it. Just to wind things up a little bit, uh, what's your favorite movie? Well, I think in light of our discussion today, it has to be The, the Hunt for Red October. Um, watching Sean Connery say, uh, one single ping, Captain, uh, <laughs> <laughs> generated the, the, the nidus of uh, this company that uh, we all have high hopes for. So... Um, I'm going to go with uh, Hunt for Red October. So besides the ping uh, quote, what's your favorite movie quote? Well, there's probably a couple. I think I, I like uh, Leave the Gun, Take the Cannolis from The Godfather. But for this, for this uh, exercise, we're going to have to go back to Field of June. And we're going to have to go with the line of... of uh, Shoeless Joe Jackson, if you build it, he will come and just make a little twist on that. If we build it, they will join. That's fantastic. Well, I really enjoyed being able to be on this side of chatting with you. Uh, looking forward to the show and all of the rich information we're going to hear about within the GI community. So this is, this is excellent. Thank you so much, Dr. K. Thanks for listening. I'm Dr. K. Tune in with me next time to reimagine the scope of GI care. If we build it, they will join.